the La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune. Dark Lacrosse is a suite of programs that feature the seedier side of lacrosse history and also include a downtown walking tour, a trolley tour, and an annual stage production with new content each year. Break-ins and robberies to support drug habits. Parents chasing after their addicted children trying to get them help. Addicts begging doctors and pharmacists for prescriptions. This is lacrosse's drug problem, 100 years ago. During the late 1800s, opiates and cocaine had little in the way of regulation. Many widely used patent medicines contained doses of the drugs and were available in general stores and pharmacies. Opiates, sometimes in the form of tinctures mixed with alcohol, were often prescribed for, quote, female troubles, and some women became addicted as a result. You could even buy a kit containing a syringe, spare needles, and two bottles of heroin, all in an attractive case from the Sears and Roebuck catalog. By the end of the 19th century, however, injection was becoming more and more common as a way to abuse both cocaine and opiates. In the eyes of the general public, drug abuse began to be associated with criminal activity. Editorials locally and nationwide asserted that drug addiction, legal or not, encouraged crime. By 1914, the majority of states had enacted laws and regulations against cocaine and opiates such as heroin and morphine. The Harrison Narcotics Tax Act was signed into law December 17, 1914, bringing the distribution and production of cocaine and opiates under federal control. After it took effect on March 1, 1915, those drugs were only available with a prescription and doctors were under strict guidelines to account for every prescription. Because of this, doctors were unable to prescribe opiates to treat or ease addiction. It was proudly proclaimed that passage of the act would quickly eradicate the problem of drug addiction in the United States. Instead, it created an upsurge in crime as desperate addicts resorted to the black market to obtain the drugs and enterprising criminals acted to meet the demand. In the months after the Harrison Act went into effect, lacrosse saw an upsurge in drug-related crime beginning with the September robbery of the Spence McCord Drug Company located at Front and State Streets. They didn't ought to can me. It wasn't my fault. The company manager accused me of gold bricking, but that's bull. I made my rounds regular. Always did. Checked the front and back doors, inside and out. Every hour on the hour. Never saw nothing. When my shift was done, I stopped at the tavern for suds and went home. I was just about to hit the hay, and a kid comes running, said to come back to Spence McCord, that there had been a robbery. When I got back there, the place was in an uproar. Cops running around. Some of the office girls were smoking outside. Said some dope fiends had busted in and robbed the place. The owners and the cops wanted to talk to me, see if I saw anything. My manager was pretty sore. Read me the riot act. Asked me if I was drunk. Me. Anyway, cops said it wasn't the work your usual dope fiends. Too smooth. Said the feds had warned them about some gangs of drug smugglers circulating in the Midwest. 
They cut the glass on the back of one window to get inside. Went up to the drug cabinet up on the balcony and busted it open with a chisel. They took $200 worth of morphine and heroin. Took every vial they had. Didn't touch the codeine or cocaine. Loaded it up in a couple of sample cases and slipped out the back. Later that day, they found one of those sample cases and a felt hat by the railroad tracks. A couple of witnesses came forward, gave descriptions of the two men who were hanging around Riverside Park and later in front of Spence McCord around midnight. No, I didn't see him on my rounds in case you were wondering. Those two carrying one of those cases got on the train around 2.30 that morning and they were gone. A few other pharmacies and doctor's offices got hit within the next few months, one of which had a back window cut open, just like at Spence McCord. Cops thought all of these might have been the work of the same gang. Pros. Told you it wasn't my fault. Authorities claim that the Harrison Act, which brought the distribution and production of cocaine and opiates under federal control, would end drug addiction entirely. Like the rash of break-ins in La Crosse, however, unexpected repercussions of the Harrison Act rippled across the country. It created the modern view of the addict as criminal, relying on the criminal justice system to treat them, and it led to the black market for drugs that plague cities like La Crosse to this day. Surprisingly little was done to help addicts break their addiction. Pejoratives like drug fiend were commonly used in newspaper articles. Few viewed addiction as a disease, and those that did were often misguided in their approach. Published in the La Crosse Tribune on March 1, 1915, the day the Harrison Act took effect, was an official-looking advertisement from the Keeley Institute, which, at the time, was an internationally known chain of clinics famous for treating alcoholism. The advertisement offered, quote, quick and permanent relief from drug addiction at the Minneapolis campus and claimed the treatment is not hard to undergo. Heavily criticized by the medical establishment and despite its undoubtedly misleading claims about the ease of recovery, the Keeley Institute was at least ahead of the curve on offering a chance at relief from addiction for those who could afford it. And now I'd like to welcome in Barry McKnight, the Programming and Community Engagement Coordinator at the La Crosse Public Library and former member of the Archive staff who did some of the initial research for this story. One of the things I found most interesting in researching this story were the obvious parallels to today, locally and nationally. A drug epidemic sweeping the country, affecting communities large and small. State and federal legislation passed to deal with the societal ills, inadvertently making everything worse. The passage of the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act in 1914 was meant to bring the distribution of certain drugs, in particular opiates, under federal control. This was in reaction to a growing perception that drugs were a source of criminal behavior. Prior to this, those medicines were relatively unregulated and easily and legally purchased. In May of 1906, an addict was convicted of stealing silk handkerchiefs from the park store, what would later become Dorflinger's department store. After being arrested, he suffered withdrawal so terribly in jail that he was finally given small doses of heroin to quiet his nerves. 
An article from the December 4, 1908 edition of the La Crosse Tribune recounted how a local woman arrested in Waterloo, Iowa for theft fainted after being denied morphine while in custody. In July of 1913, a gambler and opium fiend arrested in La Crosse was released early after the county physician stated that it would be, quote, torture to continue to incarcerate him while he suffered from withdrawal. Some addicts were arrested not for committing theft, but for suffering the effects of their addiction. Soon after the Harrison Act went into effect in 1915, a man was arrested after visiting the district attorney's office demanding protection from mysterious parties who were seeking to steal his tattoos. It was quickly determined that he was suffering withdrawal. In November of that year, the La Crosse Tribune reported that a man was arrested at a doctor's office after being refused morphine. According to witnesses, he had pleaded for enough of the drug to last him until he got home to Rock Island and became agitated when refused. When arrested, he was in possession of a hypodermic and several morphine tablets. Parents and family members also worried over what could be done about their addicted kin. Churches and the YMCA hosted former addicts who offered cautionary stories. Even traveling plays and motion pictures highlighted the dangers of drug addiction. The La Crosse Tribune ran a series of articles in January of 1917 detailing the plight of a couple from Aota, Minnesota, who were searching the La Crosse area for their addicted daughter in an ultimately failed attempt to keep her from marrying the man who allegedly got her addicted. Congress continually amended and tightened up enforcement of the Harrison Narcotics Tax Act over the next several decades. It was largely a revenue-producing act, and while it provided penalties for violations, it lacked enforcement. Specifically, it did not give authority to states to exercise police power regarding either seizure of the now illicit drugs or punishment of those responsible for illegal distribution. The lack of restrictions in the Harrison Act led to the Uniform State Narcotic Drug Act in 1934. Despite the support of the very popular President Franklin Roosevelt, only nine states initially adopted the statutes laid out by the federal law. A propaganda campaign was launched by the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics that focused on the growing popularity of marijuana in youth culture. The nationwide media campaign, supported by a film industry that had recently been chastised with censorship codes, declared that marijuana caused temporary insanity and featured young people smoking it and then behaving recklessly, committing crimes, killing themselves and others, or simply dying from its use. The propaganda campaign was a success, and all states adopted the new statutes. The Harrison Act has largely been superseded by the Controlled Substance Act of 1970, which, upon the establishment of the Drug Enforcement Administration, codified the criminalization of addiction and inadvertently led to the exploding black market for drugs in America. Thanks for listening.